We are very lucky to have Steve Goldie talking to us this morning. Steve Goldie is a deacon at Wellspring. Uh, he's a very good friend of mine, and he is one of the people that does the food here. So if you have enjoyed the food, he is one. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so last week he was downstairs working. It's like the full Downton Abbey experience, working downstairs when there's work to be done. And then we put him to work up here as well. Uh, I, I must say I'm somewhat bitter about this because Steve spoke about four years ago and Kevin Marlowe listens to that sermon every month and he's like, that's just like the best sermon I've heard. I'm like, I'm here. Like, <laughs> you've heard a hundred of my sermons. How do they not even crack the top ten? Anyway. <laughs> However, I can put that behind me. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> and I'm going to be reading from John 9 today. Very briefly, I'm going to read from John 8, 12, and 13, and then I'm going to read from John 9. Uh, John 8 says this, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And then John chapter 9 says this. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he said, to the wa wash in the pool of Salaam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him beg begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he, he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they reply, They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Salaam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this, is not, um, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know that he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. 
It's like, this is so funny. I love this. <laughs> His parents did this because they were afraid of the Jews, for they, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The second time they summoned the man who had born blind, give glory to God, they said. We know this man's a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I know one thing I, one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why didn't you want me to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> They then hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly men that do his will. Nobody has ever heard of an opening in the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when they found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Look, believe and worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will be blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say that and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now you claim that you can see. Your guilt remains. Let's pray for Steve as he comes up here. Lord, we thank you. Yeah, we thank you for Scripture. We thank you for what it reveals about you, reveals about your heart, and reveals about your actions. And Lord, we thank you for Steve. We thank you for all the thought and prayers that he's put into this message today. And we pray that our hearts be open to it too. We ask all these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Um, yeah. So James mentioned that uh, Kevin seemed to like my last sermon four years ago. So. Um, you've heard the phrase back by popular demand. I'm, I'm back by the singular demand of Kevin. So I'll take that. I'll take that. So I think James is secretly wishing I'd just follow my face today so that uh, you know, he can be done with this. But, but we'll see. We'll see. Can we hear okay? Now, we have no PowerPoint. Um, I, could, I could say, look, I had this awesome PowerPoint prepared. Um, lots of visuals, lots of lights, lots of fancy stuff, but that would be a lie. I knew that it wasn't working, so I didn't bother. I probably wouldn't have bothered anyway, but this is the visual. I'm the visual. You know, growth, growth takes time, so that's for all you visual learners, this is the visual. All right. So James read the story, um, and I love this story. And... Um, when James, when he mentioned a few weeks ago when he spoke, he, um, he said that we, you know, that some of the other people like myself were going to speak on this, the list of the I am's. We got to pick which I am we, we chose. And I, I picked this one um, because, again, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's so obvious. I am the light of the world. What a great I am. 
And there's so much metaphor and symbolism wrapped up in that. It's so obvious. And I thought, oh, this will be an easy one. Ha, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then, as James had mentioned last time, you know, maybe the less obvious ones are actually easier. And, you know, I, I think there may be truth to that. But we'll see. We'll see what I got here. I think uh, it, it is, it's pretty awesome. And um, I think the original scripture that James had intended was the one in, in, in 8. Uh, John 8, where it says, um, Jesus spoke to him saying, I'm the light of the world, blah, blah, blah. And he talks to the Pharisees. And then there's a whole dialogue after that, a back and forth with the Pharisees, where, you know, they, they're like, they're kind of appalled that Jesus is making these claims about himself. And like, whoa, you know, who, who do you think you are, basically? And it kind of ends with, they were so outraged by him that they wanted to stone him. So he got out of there. And the next thing we see is he's, he's walking along with the disciples, and he comes across this 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 blind man and I think it's um, uh, it, it's it's gr it's really interesting that uh, this story is in here with the light of the world I am the light of the world business because Jesus chooses the story of a, a man born into darkness you know so there's it, it a man born blind born into darkness who lived his whole life in darkness and Jesus is using this story to talk about how he is the light of the world so I think that's starts off that's a pretty amazing and pretty interesting place to start so that's one of the things that drew me to this there's so many scriptures i could have chosen to talk about you know i am the light of the world but this is the one that really drew me partly because of that reason and also it's a great story as, as james read it yeah you know, i heard some people laughing because it's a really it's a great story and sometimes when we read scripture we read through it and we kind of miss some things but when you really look at this story it's it's, a, it's an amazing story it's got lots lots in it so i'm just going to kind of go through it quickly um and then we'll, we'll we'll go from there and see what we can learn so, so we got this man who's born into darkness, born into blind, you know, born blind, and the disciples come across him, and and they still aren't getting it. I think James spoke a few weeks ago about this uh, in one of his other sermons, not the I am ones, but um, he mentioned this about you know an example of of how uh, people want to blame sin for for bad things that happen and. And the disciples are kind of doing that here. They're, you know, they're asking Jesus, so, you know, who sinned here? Why is this man blind? Who's, was it his parents? Was it him? And again, it just shows, shows that they're still not quite getting this Jesus guy. They're not really twigging on to what he's all about. Jesus said, no, that's not what this is about. Watch and learn. So we have the story. So Jesus, and it's kind of gross. Like he's, you know, he, he takes some dirt from the ground. You know, common, just takes some dirt from the ground, spits in it makes some mud, and puts it in the guy's eyes. Sends him off. Says, go, go wash yourself in the, in the pool. And doesn't even stick around. Doesn't want to get stick around to get, you know, to take credit or to bask in the glory of this. Just, you know, here, mud in your eye. Go off you go. Go wash in the pool. And the man comes back, and he's got sight, which, is, which, which you know, again, pretty incredible miracle. Um, and he comes back, and his neighbors, a lot of the neighbors, like, they're like, okay, you know, who's this guy? Some of them believe it. Some of them see this man, okay, he, they knew him as a blind man his whole life, and now he sees. Some of them didn't want to believe it, which is kind of odd and at first glance. Um, and then they bring him to, before the Pharisees, and they say, okay. Well, he tells, he tells the neighbors about, you know, the, the neighbors want to know how did this happen, and he tells them the story, you know, guy put mud in my eye, off I go, I'll wash, and I, I can see. And so then they bring the Pharisees, and the Pharisees say, how, how did this happen? So he tells the story again. Look, 
this Jesus guy put mud in my eye. I've told you this already. Put mud in my eye. Off I went, washed, and now I can see. And they go, this happened on the Sabbath? Yeah. Aha! Ha, 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 ha! This can't, this can't be from God. This is obviously not God. God wouldn't do this on the God wouldn't be a sinner doing stuff like this on the Sabbath. Like, how ridiculous. Like, you know, it, how do, you know, again, the man says, listen, no, no time in the history of the world has anything like this ever happened. No man born blind has ever been restored to his sight. And you guys are getting worried about it was on the Sabbath? Like, how ridiculous is this? But, of course, this is what they do. And this is what we do. And, you know, it's like, it's easy to stand here from our perspective. Say, oh, well, look at those horrible Pharisees. What terrible people they are. You know, what did they do? You know, they're, what do they know? But, again, we kind of do this. You know, we do this. I, I do this. We all do this. We don't want to see the obvious sometimes, even when it's staring in our face. Um, I remember a quick little story about uh, years ago. I know, I know that, you know, golfing isn't the same as healing someone blind. But indulge me for a minute. So years ago, I'm not a big golfer. I was in golfing in a tournament. And, you know, at tournaments, they have these different competitions and you can win the longest drive, that kind of thing. So I was on standing on the tee. It was a big, long, long par five. And this is the longest drive hole. And way down there, you can see a little flag in the fairway. That's where the longest drive is. And to, to qualify for longest drive, you've got to be on the fairway. So I get up and whap. And woo, I, amazing drive, straight down the fairway at least 30, 40 yards past the marker. Like, woohoo! I'm gonna win the longest drive. And the guy I'm golfing with, who, it was his club, he was a real stickler for the rules. I don't know if you golf, I, I didn't even know this rule at the time, but with the, when you golf, you got the tee boxes, and you got those two little markers on the tee boxes. Well, apparently, you gotta tee up even where behind those. Well, I was teed up about 12 inches in front of the tee box. I didn't know. I didn't care. 12 inches. I went 30 or 40 yards past the marker. And this guy says, huh, shame it's not going to count. What do you mean it's not going to count? You cheated. You were like 12. What? This 12 inches? What, what are you talking about? Like I still hit the drive. He didn't care. It didn't matter. That wasn't relevant. No, no, no. This, this is the rule. You can't go past that line. It's like we do that. You know, that this is what we did. what the Pharisees were doing. Look, you, you know, you broke the rules, Jesus. You can't heal a man blind and expect us to believe you're from God when you broke the rules. Come on. Who are you? So off he goes. You know, they come back. No, no they go to his parents. They go to his parents now and say, look, are you sure this is your son? <laughs> yeah, we know our son. Are you sure your son was blind? <laughs> yeah. He's been blind his whole life. We know his son, and we know our son was blind. And you're sure he sees? Well, he looks like he can see. So the, the Pharisees are just desperately trying to find something to sort of, you know, brush this away and, and, and disregard it. And the, the parents know, like, we, well, we, we don't want to get in trouble here. So they don't want to say, look, you know, like, like, like James read, he said, look, they say, go ask him. He's an adult. Talk to him. Find out what happened. So again, they go back to him third time now he's got to tell this story twice to the Pharisees once to the neighbors and he's getting a bit annoyed like come on now this can nobody see this amazing miracle you want you you're stuck and lost in the details they come back to him again how did this happen and that's when he kind of mocks them he says, how did it happen I told you already you, you guys want to be his followers now 
and they get annoyed like whoa you know we're 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 disciples of Moses not this guy here Moses we know where he came from Moses like you know he's, he's got some pedigree he's from God this guy who's this guy well he's just a guy who can heal people born blind like it's kind of gives them some cred in most people's minds but not not good enough for these guys so it's it's sorry I'm kind of not born blind but I'm getting there so, <laughs> so anyway it's, it's 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 an incredible story of of human nature it's a real good study into human nature and it's like we're all like again we can't see the forest for the trees sometimes something so obvious so amazing right in front of us and we don't want to see it. We want to make excuses for why it cannot be this way. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They're saying, like, this can't, you know, Jesus, the light of the world, comes and performs this amazing miracle. And I don't want to see that. We don't want to see it. So what's the obstacle here? What stops them, some of us, from seeing the miracle? Well, um, chapter, or, or the end of the chapter kind of gives us a clue. So... At the end, where are we here? I've got to get in the right spot here. End of chapter 9, verses 35 to 41. And Jesus says, Jesus heard. Uh, so they, they, they were so annoyed at this guy. He's got his, his, his sight. They don't care about that. You know, they'd rather be blind still. And they throw him out of the synagogue. Like, you keep saying that this Jesus guy did this. And, like, you don't want to acknowledge God because this guy can't be from God. Out you go. Um, which is what his parents were fearing. That's why they didn't want to say it. So Jesus hears about this, and um, he comes and finds him, and he says, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is this? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, you have seen him, and he is who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. Of course he believes. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, to this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind and some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him are we also blind and Jesus said to them if you, if you were blind you would have no guilt you'd have an excuse but because you say you claim you see then you remain in your in your guilt so what is Jesus saying here? He's like, what is the obstacle? The obstacle is us. The obstacle is us when we think we know. When we think we have the answers. We already know it all. That's the obstacle. That's one of the major obstacles that stand in the way of God working in our lives and performing miracles. It's when we think we know. We have it. We got this wrapped up. We figured it out. And the Pharisees were the, they were the experts in the law. They knew. They knew Moses. He had pedigree. Surely God would do things the way Moses did things, but no, they, they were so sure of their own certainty and their own knowledge, they couldn't recognize the Son of Man, the Son of God, right there in, in their midst, performing miracles. Kind of hard to believe, but that's, that's the way we are often. Um, so then, I want to I move on to uh, another, another reading here in Matthew 17, uh, verses 1 to 9. We don't have to read the whole thing. Well, we can, but uh, it's Matthew 17, verses 1 to 9. And this is the story of the transfiguration. Um, so I'll just, I can turn to that quickly. Oh, yeah, I got it marked. There we go. So 
This transfiguration story um, is this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as a light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Again, this is a remarkable story. Um, you know, Jesus doesn't say here, I am the light of the world. But Jesus literally becomes the light in this story. He is transfigured and glows like the sun, and he becomes light. And he appears, uh, you know, uh, in, in that vision uh, appears Moses and Elijah, to give him that cred. And Matthew right away looks and says, okay, I know what to do here. I've heard, of, I've heard about this kind of story. When this kind of thing happens, what we need to do, we need to build some monuments. We're going to build, in this translation, it's tent, other translations ta translate it tabernacle. It doesn't really matter because, again, it's him missing the point. And he says, I know what to do. We're going to build some monuments to remember this and mark this moment. And before he even finishes what he's saying, when he sa he's, he's going to do that, boom, God breaks in. This cloud comes over, and it says this, this bright cloud, kind of like, you know, an oxymoron, I guess. You know, it's like um, this, this luminous cloud overshadows them and God speaks these words and their reaction like they can you know seeing Jesus transfigured and glowing becoming light that they could handle but God speaking they couldn't handle they got down they were terrified down on the ground faces on the ground they couldn't look why well again they they knew the stories they knew the scriptures and and when Moses went up on the mountain you know he couldn't look directly at God it was it was said that you know if you look directly at God you would surely you would die on that day. Moses couldn't look directly. He could only have a glancing blow. And then Moses came off down off the mountain having had that encounter with God and he himself was glowing. And, you know, they were terrified at looking at the face of God. And I love, you know, God speaks, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We'll come back to that. But they were terrified. They were afraid that God might smite them. And then there was this wonderful moment, this beautiful moment where Jesus, in this beautiful tender moment, he comes and he touches each of them. So Jesus touches them in their, in their fear. And he says, arise and be not afraid. So something's changed. They don't need to be afraid of God smiting them dead for looking at him. Jesus says, arise and be not afraid. I love that moment. It's such, like I say, it's such a compassionate, tender moment. And when you think about it, here are these, there's these three ordinary people, poor, 
fishermen or, or whatever they did, um, of no account really, virtual slaves to the Roman Empire, three ordinary people who, who they knew darkness. Their lives, they knew, they knew darkness. They knew what darkness was. And here Jesus had invited them into this incredible encounter. He brought them into this luminous cloud that is the presence of God. And, and he speaks to them these beautiful, tender words, do not be afraid. Um, again, I, I, I love getting the opportunity to speak. Now, it's been four years, and I, I say I love it, but I, I've, you know, reject, you know, rejected J- James's requests for four years. Um, but <laughs> I do love it when I actually do it because it forces me to really get into the scripture, which I should probably be doing anyway, but it, it gets me to really dig in in a way that I, 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 I don't in every day. And, and you, you know, you get to really be awed by God's word again, which is great. And it's funny, like I, I do these readings. Um, I'm sure I know some of you do some of the readings, uh, the Richard Rohr readings every, every week. So I, throughout the week, I'm kind of preparing and making notes. And, and then the, the Re- Richard Rohr readings um, this week were about a woman named St. Teresa of Avila. Um, and I wanted to read, and I read on Friday's reading, after I'd done a lot of this research, the preliminary stuff, and one of the, the, last, the last note I'd actually written was, do not be afraid. And, and then I, I read the Friday reading of, about Teresa of Avila and from Richard Rohr. And in it, Rohr's writing uh, this quote. He says, uh, the mystics always bring this message in some form. Do not be afraid. I thought, oh, yeah, exactly. And, and I stopped, you know, I, you heard me talk about the cloud. I, I refer to it as the luminous cloud. Well, I stole that from that reading because Teresa of Avila speaks of, of uh, and she says, of, of letting go, of entering the luminous darkness and being ambushed by the lover of the cosmos. Uh, that, that fits right in with this. It's, she's talking about exactly this, this kind of thing, entering into the presence of God. And, and the thing that stops us as we spoke of before, again, one of the things that, the obstacles to that is us. It's ourselves. It's our fears. It's our preconceived ideas that we already know everything or we know what we need to know. And I love, you know, Teresa says, the one of the paths to this is, is a path of letting go. We've got to let go of ourselves. We let go of our own egos. Let go of our own presuppositions and just trust that God is there. So, so finally, you know, we, you know, uh, I, I, so I brought that story into that because I love how, you know, it, it kind of dovetails with, with this message. And um, we are invited into that same luminous cloud, that same illuminating presence of God. We are daily, continually invited into that same presence. Um, and not simply invited into that presence of God, but we are also told by God, by Jesus, that, you know, he, we started out talking, you know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And as long as I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. But then he also goes on and tells us in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, he says, you are the light of the world. What? And we, you know, one of the songs we sang, you are salt and light, that, come, that comes from that very verse. You're the salt of the world, you're the light of the world. Jesus turns it around and says, you are the light of the world. All of us. We're the light of the world. So, whoa, wait a minute. I can accept Jesus being the light of the world, but now I've got to be the light of the world? That's a lot, lot more. That, but again, it's, 
How are we expected to be the light of the world? You know, how do we shine in the midst of the darkness that is in the world? Um, so I'm not going to read the, the standard translation of Matthew 5, 13 to 16. I'm going to read the Eugene Peterson version, which is like a paraphrase, because it's, I love the way he puts it. It's very poetic, and it's, so let me, indulge me while I read this one. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors, colors, God colors. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket? No. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there, on a hilltop, on a stand, shine. Keep open house. I love that. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be generous with your lives. I think that, to me, when we ask the questions of how can we shine in the midst of the darkness of this world, you know, and that the darkness is, is, is obvious. Again, talk about what's obvious. The darkness of the world is obvious. The corporate darkness of this world, you know, with, you know, with pandemics and war, famine, you know, um, all of these things, um, climate anxiety, and then personal darkness, individual darkness of, you know, fears, anxieties, abuse, loneliness, poverty, insecurity, depression. These are all forms of, of personal darkness. How are we to shine in the midst of, of both this corporate and these individual darknesses? Well, you know, I, I chose Eugene Peterson's version because I, I love uh, especially that line, be generous with your lives, because I, I think that's one of the most accessible lessons for me in all of this, in how do we overcome the darkness? And we can start by being generous with our lives. And what does that mean? Well, being generous with whatever light it is that we can muster. And the really great thing is, you know, that's the great thing about light. I love the imagery of light and darkness. It doesn't take very much light to illuminate the darkness. It takes a very little amount of light. A tiny spark can shine in the darkness. And so whatever tiny spark you have can shine in the darkness. And our small acts of brightness can have much, much greater and much far-reaching effects, much, much more far-reaching effects than you could ever imagine. So what kind of acts, you know? You know, the light of just simple kindness. The light of kindness. The light of a smile. Whether you're greeting your own family, a stranger on a bus, someone at your work, you know, the, the cashier at, at the supermarket, the waitress, a smile, a simple smile can be the, the spark that one person needs to bring them out of the darkness that they're experiencing that moment. You know, the, 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 the tiny light of being a good neighbor, the tiny light of hospitality, the tiny light of anti-racism, the light of inclusion, 
the light of including somebody who might feel excluded. You know, bringing someone alongside who might feel they don't belong. That's brilliant light. Um, and then there's the things that bring the light into our own lives, like, you know, art. Whether you just like to look at it or produce it. Art is a great shining light in the world. Music, for me, has been huge light. Um, the light of, of, of being present for somebody who needs just a, a shoulder. You know, someone, an, a, an ear to listen. That's brilliant light for someone who needs it in that moment. The light of creating safe spaces. That's one that we can do corporately as well as individually. Creating safe spaces is, is light that we can bring to a dark world. Personally, for me, the light of deep breaths. When you get overwhelmed with the darkness, sometimes just slowing down. Breathing deeply. A little spark, a little spark of light. And sometimes that can lead to a peaceful presence that for myself can be just for my own self, can be the light. And we can bring that peaceful presence sometimes into you know, places where there's no peace. The light of peaceful presence, which creates hope, the light of hope, which can create courage, light of courage. And all of this leads to where it always inevitably leads to, the light of love, the light of unconditional love, the light of unreserved love. So whatever light you have, let it shine. You know, this little light of mine, that great song. Let it so shine that the world will know. Again, how does the world know that we are his disciples? We love one another. Let our love, let our light shine that the world will know. And the, the obstacle to all of this, again, what is the obstacle of this? That we just don't take Jesus at his word. We have this amazing witness. We have this amazing word and this amazing example. So Jesus, the light of the world, yeah, he came to be the light of the world. That, that's wrapped up with so much that I, I barely even scratched the surface of it. I didn't get into because I could be here for three hours. You don't want that. I don't want that. But there's so much rich symbolism there. And it is obvious. I don't have to point it, out, it all out to you. you. You see it. The light of the world. Now, light can be, you know, to, a light to, to light the path, wisdom. It could be light, again, like I spoke with art, some, whatever is light that enlightens your life and enlightens your world, all of this is light. And the great thing is, the very beginning, the, the one of the, the, the scripture that I didn't use, uh, that I could have used to talk about light, is the very first part of John, the very first chapter of John, the first verses of John, where it says, uh, I don't have it marked, but it's here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So again, yeah, the world can be dark. Doesn't matter how dark it gets. It will never overcome the light that is Jesus. Um, 
I'm going to wrap this up with another quote from Teresa of Avila. I'm not going to quite wrap it up with that. I'm going to start wrapping it up with this quote from, from that same reading, Teresa of Avila, where she says, Remember, if you want to make progress on the path and ascend to the places you have longed for, the important thing is not to think much, but to love much. And so, to do whatever best awakens you to love. I love that. You know, not to think much. Doesn't mean turn your brains off. But don't let your brains get in your way. Not to think much, but to love much. And so, to do whatever best awakens you to love. So whatever it is that awakens you to love, do that. That's where you need to spend your time. One of the things that awakens me to love is, I've done this whenever I speak, I, tip, I try to bring a poem. So I brought a poem um, because that's one of the things that awakens me to love. And I love this poem. And I'm going to give you a choice. We're going to vote. Um, I can read a 20-second excerpt from this poem, and you can be out of here quicker. Or I can read the whole poem, four minutes or so. So who, who votes for four minutes? Okay. And who votes for 20 seconds? All right. Sorry, Lil, you're out. You know, the four minutes has it. The, four, the whole poem has it. We w All right, so here we go. We're going to read the whole thing. And this, this works as a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's by one of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver. And I've left copies on, on the desk by Jeff if anybody wants a copy. So here we go. I know a lot of fancy words. I tear them from my heart and my tongue. Then I pray. Lord God, mercy is in your hands. Pour me a little, and tenderness too. My need is great. Beauty walks so freely and with such gentleness. Impatience puts a halter on my face, and I run away over the green fields, wanting your voice, your tenderness, but having to do with only the sweet grasses of the fields against my body. When I first found you, I was filled with light. Now the darkness grows, and it is filled with crooked things, bitter and weak, each one bearing my name. I lounge on the grass, that's all, so simple. Then I lie back until I am inside the cloud that is just above me, the luminous cloud, but very high and shaped like a fish, or perhaps not. Then I enter the place of not thinking, not remembering, not wanting. When the blue jay cries out his riddle in his carping voice, I return. But I go back, the threshold is always near, over and back, over and back. Then I rise. Maybe I rub my face as though I've been asleep, but I have not been asleep. I have been, as I say, inside the cloud or perhaps the lily floating on the water. Then I go back to town, to my own house, my own life, which has now become brighter and simpler, somewhere I have never been before. Of course, I have always known you are present in the clouds, and the black oak I especially adore, and the wings of birds. But you are present too in the body, 
listening to the body, teaching it to live, instead of all that touching with disembodied joy. We do not do this easily. We have lived so long in the heavens of touch, and we maintain our mutability, our physicality, even as we begin to apprehend the other world. Slowly, we make our appreciative response. Slowly, appreciation swells to astonishment, and we enter the dialogue of our lives that is beyond all understanding or conclusion. It is mystery. It is love of God. It is obedience. Now this little bit's the excerpt I was going to read on the short version. Oh, feed me this day, Holy Spirit, with the fragrance of the fields and the freshness of the oceans, which you have made. And help me to hear and to hold in all dearness those exacting and wonderful words of our Lord Jesus Christ saying, follow me. Every summer the lilies rise and open their white hands until they almost cover the black waters of the pond. And I give thanks, but it does not seem like adequate thanks. It doesn't seem festive enough or constant enough, nor does the name of the Lord or the words of thanksgiving come into it often enough. Everywhere I go, I'm treated like royalty, which I am not. I thirst, and I am given water. My eyes thirst, and I am given the white lilies on the black water. My heart sings, but the apparatus of singing doesn't convey half what it feels and means. In spring, there's hope. In fall, the exquisite necessary diminishing. In winter, I am as sleepy as any beast in its leafy cave. But in summer, there is everywhere the luminous sprawl of gifts. The hospitality of the Lord and my inadequate answers as I row my beautiful temporary body through this water lily world. And that's that. Thank you.